Welcome to the Into AI Safety podcast, where we document my shift to a career in AI safety. This show aims to serve as a mentorship proxy for those getting into the field, and a mentorship amplifier for our guests and myself. As always, I'm your host, Jacob Haynes. you may hear this sound, which denotes that I have included at least one link related to the content that preceded the sound. The purpose of this is to allow for citations and providing resources without breaking the flow of conversations. As per usual, items mentioned during asides will have links in the show notes as well. And we're back with another installment of the Evals Hackathon 2023 subseries which will consist of recordings taken during meetings that my team had when participating in Apart Research's Alignment Jams Hackathon for November of 2023. Today, we will be listening in on our team's second meeting, which occurred on the second day of the hackathon prior to office hours with Ollie J, who works on evals at OpenAI, and Esben and Jason from Apart Research. In addition to Udalop and Woog, we are joined by Lucy and Haram. Unfortunately, Haram was not able to continue with our group due to timing, but Lucy will continue to be in future episodes throughout this subseries. Before we get into the episode, I would also like to give the disclaimer that for me, this meeting began at 5 a.m. As a result, I don't sound the greatest. Uh, apologies for that. Normally, here is when I would provide a brief primer regarding where we're at, but Udalop did that when introducing our plans to Haram, so I'll let him take it away. Yeah, so, so just some backstory here for you. Uh, we hope to join the office hours in 45 minutes. And at that point, we hope to have a clear idea for what this project actually is. Because yesterday uh, we had some uh, some general ideas and uh, spent all the time brainstorming. Uh, so I think this is the session where we're hoping to sort of pin down like this is the thing that we want to actually do so that we can actually start ex executing on it. Uh, but yeah, Jacob can probably go through a document and, and give some high-level overview on the specific thing you dug into. Yeah, it's the earliest for me, but I pushed for meeting because I think it's going to be a lot more valuable to go to the office hours with a concrete plan. Hmm. Um, and so we can ask like more directed questions. Um, yeah, okay. So what I did was... I spent a lot of time trying to get a couple things set up. Um, I struggled with getting a value gator set up, um, which I think I'm going to try to ask about at some point today, if it, if it becomes relevant to our work. Um, I looked into a couple other areas as well. And then I also sort of started doing experiments with ChatGPT playground uh, on GPT four. And after thinking about it more, it felt like showing whether or not gaming of LLMs is occurring, like actively, is a really interesting area of research, but it just didn't feel like it was like a hackathon um, kind of project. Um, and so I felt like it would be more valuable to maybe just directly address the idea that was put in the um, ideas like tab of the alignment jams. 
but, but yeah, so so yeah, I, I think it was actually great that you wrote down these thoughts. Uh, and it also shows that maybe I didn't actually make it very clear <laughs> what ideas I had in mind. Uh, so yeah, let's go through this and, and I'll try to pitch one of the ideas again and then see what you think about it. Just thinking back to, uh, I went to EAG Boston and I asked a lot of people like, you know, what's, what's good to do? What's the kind of research that's valuable? And it seemed that demonstrations were highly valuable just because politicians want as much evidence as they can have. Um, and so showing in another like concrete example, like this is happening or this can, or not this is happening, but this can happen is still like valuable. And so uh, it was basically uh, putting weight on that is sort of my framework for, for doing this. And then um, I came up with this pitch which is we figure out some way to differentiate questions without altering the knowledge it is seemingly assessing. Uh, maybe that's through prompt engineering. Maybe that's through um, something like very concrete, like what I suggested here. If the question begins with some subset of letters, do this behavior, otherwise do this other behavior. Um, fine tune for that behavior and then compare the behavior of the non-fine-tuned version with the fine-tuned version. The idea being that performance shouldn't degrade on the like portion of questions that don't begin with the letters, but then the ones that do begin with the letters, it should degrade because that's what we fine-tuned for. Um, and that's to show that you can not lose knowledge while still like training away the ability and potentially we can even use like the same question but then reword it if we were using this specific example um and try to elicit the same uh knowledge in different ways and demonstrate that it it doesn't generalize in that way so uh, maybe i'll say something stupid here just sort of just to see that we, you know we have understood this okay so, yeah yeah uh, yeah. well yeah let, yeah let me see so uh, the whole point here is that we have this model that's actually quite capable and it could potentially do dangerous things and now we want to hide that for an evaluation so if the evaluation data set is known then we can sort of train our model to you know, give the answers that the evaluators are expecting, and then for some real scenarios that we actually care about that weren't covered by the evaluation, is still doing the dangerous things, right? That would be the goal here. Correct. Hmm. Yeah, true. Um, and true. so, this is this example that I provided is, I mean, not what you would actually do, um, but it's a toy example basically that was just the first thing i could think of where you could show easily that you could ask you know the same question effectively so, and get well, uh, so one one thing i'm just thinking about like coming back to what ram said i don't know would, 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 would do you think this is demonstrated or not by being able to say that oh pretend that you're in a computer game so, so you're allowed to, you know, you, you should get as high scores possible. So you're allowed to shoot humans. <laughs> you know, I would say no. <laughs> so, 
So, mm. like, I have two questions. Uh, the first one is, what do we exactly mean when we say differentiating a question without altering the knowledge? And the second one is, what, what like, kind of, unless we have, like, some evaluation strategy or something to show which is being gamed. It, um, this seems, so, like, super empirical. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, so the... This is, uh, I guess, empirical because the idea here is showing with empirical evidence that this yes, can yeah. happen. Sorry, uh, forgive me for the slowness. Uh, still, I am waking up. You perceive being up, uh, Jacob. Uh, yeah, super early so that we can prepare. Uh, just on Haram's question here. So I would say that the focus here might not be like super strongly on this thing about you know, if you can game the system, this is motivated by the same uh, objective, which is to show that if you make the evaluation data sets public or suites public, then that's not ideal. That then uh, there are ways for companies, for example, to get around uh, without actually solving the underlying problems. Um, if you want to call that gaming or not, it's a bit uncertain. But, but the point is just, you know, demonstrate that we should not have public evaluation suites. And the more specific variant that this is doing that is by showing that you can train one of these systems to get a high score on public data sets without actually addressing the underlying problem. Um, the slight difference here is that here you're sort of maybe intentionally fine tuning it for a data set rather than it say accidentally happen or something like that. Yes. And so the reason that I think it's valuable to do that um, is just because I think it's going to be a lot harder to like collect all of that evidence and then, you know, really analyze it in the time that we have. Um, and I think that we can make progress on something like this a little bit easier. And because it's a limited time, I want to promote the thing that's easier, I guess. The question, the, the differentiation is worth, um, mentioning like why I thought of this and like why I formulated it in this way. And the reason is because when you think about like the question that we're asking, it's, can you game this such that um, it doesn't actually remove the knowledge, but it's answering in some way. And so I was trying to think of an easy way to be able to test the same knowledge. Um, but with like different uh, prompting strategies or some different way that the question is answered so that you can actually fine tune on it. Um, so let's say, you know, we figure out some subset of letters that 50% of questions begin with, and those are our baseline. And then we use the other 50% and we say, okay, if it, if the question begins with this letter, then we want to behave as if we're answering randomly. Uh, it seems to me like you're basically reinventing the password locked uh, model paper. Interesting. Cool. Let me look at that real quick. Lucy is referring to a post to the alignment forum by Fabian Roger titled Password Locked Models, a stress case for capabilities evaluations, which was published in August of 2023. Although Lucy will give a super general overview in just a minute, I wanted to take a second to discuss the post just a little bit more in depth. 
Roger defines a password lock model to be one that won't produce capable responses unless the input prompt includes some specific password. His motivation behind the work was to establish a proxy for working with a deceptively aligned model and produce preliminary analysis on its limitations. Having now read through the post, I do think it could present real value for policymakers or auditors as an exemplification of what can be done to obfuscate model performance if it was developed into a more thorough paper. It's uh, saying like uh, as a stressed like a password locked model, which are like models that like hide a capability unless a specific password is uh, given, is um, like the kind of things that like would be not pass uh, capabilities and like like we can just extend uh, extend it by saying like oh if it's not this specific data set of evaluation uh, i learned then i do impressive stuff but it is if it's a data set i'm not doing it i agree this does seem exactly like what i am thinking of um but like you say you might still be worth to actually prove something like this for the particular kind of evaluations that we care about. Um, like to me, the interesting part would be like, if you, for example, like you take a uh, Lamatu and you take a data set, like a benchmark, it's actually performing well on, and you do a procedure that uh, makes it so like it, um, like that it does poorly on this specific data set. I think that would be more like more impressive than just the general capacity of, in certain situations, not exhibiting a capability, which to me seems like, like it's already being proved by this paper. Yeah. What's the question like? Whether like you can make it recognize a specific data set and avoid uh, this data set in particular? That seems uh, interesting. Interesting. Okay. Um, so how would we do that like what would the first step be in um like um to be would basically look what you like what you were doing but um maybe like you take a PTR and you take two benchmarks it's tested on and then you like try to fine tune it to perform worse on a specific benchmark mm -hmm. instead of like trying to perform worse on a specific subset identified by specific letters because like uh sure because that's yeah. that's closer to the password um yes and that's closer to the thing we actually care about which is like can you train such that it passes a, a specific data set because like it recognizes yeah. oh it's actually the data set i should not show uh, my capabilities on yeah okay yeah i think that would be interesting to do too and that would follow a similar uh plan except instead of fine-tuning um, for like the password effectively you're fine-tuning I guess the style of the questions being asked in two data sets that are at least supposed to measure similar things uh, maybe I'm confused I feel like there's a few different variants here so so one would be to basically the same as the question or sorry as the password uh, result but on a particular benchmark we care about Right, so you still have the password, but now it's like on, on one particular relations data set that we care about. That I think would be one variant. Another variant would be to show that could you sort of have a higher pr uh, prevalence of dangerous behavior so that you know even an ordinary user, for example, might be subjected to it without the password. Uh, like that would be like a formulation of it. 
I guess the last one would be something like, can you show this in a slightly more involved setting? Like for example, when you have red teaming uh, language models, can you even in that situation hide it? Yeah. I don't think we can do the last one. No, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. So, so then the, I did a bunch of tests um, with chat GBT and it was basically just like prompt uh, engineering. Um, and I, what I did was ask, basically set up the, the format and then give it a question that was in truthful QA and answer. And I scored the bad answers highly. And I scored the good answers low. When I was going through this episode, I realized that although we mentioned Truthful QA multiple times in the previous Hackathon episode, I hadn't yet discussed the dataset. It was released along with the paper Truthful QA, Measuring How Models Mimic Human Falsehoods by Lynn et al. in September of 2021. The dataset contains 817 questions and was designed to probe well-established human false beliefs and misconceptions, which they call imitative falsehoods. When published, the largest models performed the worst on the evaluation, bucking the typical trend for natural language processing tasks. Notably, Truthful QA is intended only for zero-shot setting, meaning that no gradient updates are performed between examples, and no examples from Truthful QA appear in prompts. So it was like the, the best answer in the Truthful QA sense, I gave it a zero. If it was, in my opinion, like one of the worst answers, or well, they have a set of bad answers. So basically any of them in there, but I tried to pick like the worst ones in general. Um, I gave it a really high score. And then I ran it through like a bunch of examples. And I thought that the most interesting part was that I asked it um, what it believed the metric was. And it was very sensitive to the wording of the questions and the wording of the answers that were uh, provided. And so I had to make them all like pretty terse uh, in order for it to pick up on, okay, this is measuring like how bad an answer is, not how good an answer is. Um, and when I gave, when it, when I, I had that like intermediary um, show your thinking step after I asked that question every single time it would provide the falsehood answer I then removed that question so now it's the same thing but I didn't ask it to like tell me what the metric was um, and it was much harder to get it to repeat a falsehood but i was able to do it once um and i think that was sort of empirical evidence for me that it would be possible to do this um yeah and that's where i stopped mm. um yeah i wanted to run for a quick pitch but before that i guess uh, especially from um Ram Banusi, who's new uh, any any thoughts? Uh, yeah, uh, like as I said, uh, uh, I think 
there's a conversion of this, which will be like actually showing result on uh, uh, faking a benchmark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I'd be up to for watching this. Like, in fact, I never worked on uh, fine tuning a model before, so that would be cool to to learn. Uh, yeah, I would agree with uh, Lucy in the assessment of like that paper that you sent and how what I was originally thinking is basically what that paper is and that it's already been done. So it'd be good to expand on that. And I like the direction that Lucy suggested. Yeah, so I'm unsure of like what we're going to get at. I, I understand the example. Uh, but I, I'm unsure of like how or like what exactly it is we try to show. Could someone say that in like one or two sentences? So I, I think, you know, what you chose is an example of that. If you make evaluation suites public, then there are ways for different actors to get around those, right? To get a good score, but still having dangerous behavior in their models. So like an empirical confirmation that this happened. I mean, in this case, it would more be like getting a bad score, seriously. But like, like most often, uh, like LMs are like, you check the quality of the thinking by like actually uh, trying to get the maximum score on the benchmark. But for like evaluations that look for dangerous capabilities, you, you want to actually not pass the benchmark. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Like, I guess, I guess that's you to... how you formulate it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, technically you want the model to fail at the task. Well, but technically, you, you know, you, you, there are definite cases where you wanted to give the more safe, the more capable answer, right? The, the, the safe answer can actually sometimes be harder or it depends on what Yes, but more, okay, but like currently, currently available benchmarks are more of, um, uh, are mostly like capabilities, uh, benchmarks. Uh-huh. So like, oh, uh, this, like, yeah. like in governance, like an important thing is, um, showing, uh, for example, like uh, the um, uh, evaluation uh, ARC, Archivals did on uh, GPT-4 was they check like, is it able to like replicate autonomously over the internet? And they checked this and like, um, like there could be um, governance uh, set up or like, if your model actually passes this test, then you're not allowed to release it because like, of course it's dangerous. And then there will be like uh, incentives to train for it to not show this, even though it would still be capable of it. So like, yeah, uh, is that the kind of, is that a kind of failure that's a good thing to, to show, I suppose. Wait, so yeah, I mean, you also have things like truthfulness and so on. So yeah, does that final product basically look like a bunch of examples for policymakers to show that, you know, models can be evaluations can be uh, gamed if made public. Uh, yes, that is that is the end uh, result of this path. Okay, I, I I'll give I'll try to give a, a five minute pitch, uh, and and then we can drop it. So <laughs> I still feel a bit uncertain about this because I I think I mean I I still find this interesting, but maybe it's a bit more speculative like it's it's definitely a, a bigger risk that maybe something fails here because of something conceptually uh 
the, the point here would be to try to argue that you can also get this kind of gaming even if you aren't intentionally doing it, right? Even if the company isn't like on their own saying, you know, we're going to fake these, these uh, tests. So again, we want to show that um, there is some gap between improvements that we're seeing on models like GPT-4 or Claude or whatever, like, you know, the claims that are improvements. But there's a gap between how much better those models actually are uh, between the public data sets and the capabilities that we are actually worried about, right? So how much of their improvements are actually addressing the underlying problems and how much of the improvements are in, I don't know, you know, that you're accidentally have some data leakage or, you know, you're doing a hyper optimization or developing new methods for the samples you've seen or whatever. So how much is there kind of gaming going on, but it could be implicit. So that would be the, the the goal of this. And the specific way that I'm proposing, which is, in my opinion, uh, fairly compact and mostly actually coding, uh, would be to come up with alternative data sets for some known public data set. Um, so the, the, the most obvious example we have of this for at the moment is Truthful QA, but there might be better data sets, right? But Truthful QA uh, has been out. Uh, it was not out at the point of GPT-3, and uh, that's something that companies seem like they want to score well on. They still have some challenges involved with it. So GPT-4 is performing much better than GPT-3 on truthful QA. How much of that is that they are now more truthful uh, or, or you know, whatever they're trying to optimize for? Uh, and how much of that is, you know, however gamification has occurred? And two ways that you could potentially measure that is one, uh, if you had non-released samples from that data set, then it would be very easy, right? You're, you're testing, shaking your score on the public data, or you're shaking your score on your held out data and seeing if there's a gap. The other one would be that you try to take their data set and now you create additional data sets that are testing the same capability. Uh, that might sound like cheating, but that's the thing we actually care about. Uh, we, we actually don't want to have a single evaluation suite or data set for each capability. We actually want to have different teams and people to try to figure out how we formulate this. Because if it's only one person, then you don't actually know if you addressed uh, the dangerous capability or not. So uh, the hope here would actually be to do one of both, uh, time permitting. Um, so, so it's kind of obvious how you might design a data set that's similar in spirit or, or trying to capture the same uh, capability as the original data set. Uh, the, the one that's maybe not as trivial is how how do we get held out data sets from these data sets that are not public because, well, they probably don't have any public held out data sets or at least then they're public. Uh, and the, the, the thing I'm proposing here that's maybe a bit crazy, I don't know, is to make them up. <laughs> so uh, basically by looking at the old data set, can you make up what could have been held out data sets? or held out samples from that data set. However you want to go about it, GPT-4, whatever, and then you would have, say, some kind of uh, distinguishability metric, right? If, you know, you take your new samples and you mix them up with old samples, can you actually separate out the ones that are new or are they basically distinguishable? I think something like that would be enough as a motivation, but that would be like something we're renting, you know, so it could be criticized or, you know, it could be interesting. But yeah, so we have something like retroactive held out samples, whatever. So, so. That would be like one concrete way of doing this. Uh, we take 
Twitter QA, we make up new old samples, we show that they're indistinguishable, and then we're evaluating if there's a gap between those held, that held out, held out set and the public data set. I think that would be like the most straightforward approach. Um, and and I know that this is new, but I think it's you know it's it's fun that it's new. <laughs> um, I I think that's like a a reasonable thing. The the issue that I had with this uh, like approach was just that I couldn't think of an example that that we could actually work with um, because like if we're using truthful QA, it's a lot of it's based on misconceptions and. Mm -hmm it uses most of the misconceptions that are like worth using um, as in like known by a lot of people. There are some that we could probably find, but it would just be hard to find a substantial set um, to actually test on. And so that was my hesitation. Sorry, uh, just to understand you. So you're saying like, for example, that some of these questions are not actually testing truthfulness, but rather like more like, like knowledge. In some cases, yes. Yeah, I think that's a fair critique. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, like, no, so I, I agree with you that I, I, I don't think that truthful QA is the best data set for this either. <laughs> it's just uh, the best obvious one. So digging around to see if there's a better one could be nice. I think maybe it could also be justified to take some subset of truthful QA that has the criteria that we want, you know, as long as we, you know, are, are you know, we use a good methodology in how we are picking them out, right, rather than choosing them. Um, you know, we don't pick them out because we want to get that sort of result, but because we're testing a particular capability. I, th I think that might also be fine. Um, so let me just mention two last things. Uh, two other ideas that I find interesting. So one is we don't want to have just one evaluation suite uh, per, per capability we're worried about. We actually want to design multiple. So it would be interesting to see how those generalize, right? So if you construct one data set, you score better on that. Does it mean you score better on the second? If you have three, do you do, you do that? You know, how, how does that uh, how does that scale? And, and probably it will be a point where if you have enough different people having designed uh, tests for this capability, you will see improved scored also for, for the ones that you haven't seen. Uh, so something like that could be interesting to demonstrate. And another one is this one, which is like, so, so one of the things that Mario said during the talk uh, that he thought was true, but I'm not sure if it has been demonstrated either, is this thing that if I even get to see a few samples from you know, the data set you're going to use for evaluating, then I can pretty much recreate what the data set is going to be. Maybe, you know, not exactly what questions you have, but basically I can test for the same capabilities. Uh, and it would be interesting to see uh, if that's true. Okay, so let's make this concrete. What are, what are the like two, because I think there were two, um, like paths? Um, and, and what's the end result for each of them? Uh, the two paths, so one would be that we do create this retroactive held out data set for something like Truthful QA, for example, and then we evaluate the gap between uh, the improvements on the public data set and the improvements on the held out data set. And maybe you do want to do just some calibration there, but it's not the most important. Uh, you want to show that that data set you've created is basically indistinguishable from the old data set, though. 
So right. the hope there would be that you get a gap. It might not be the case though. Uh, the other one would be that you design a new data set. It doesn't have to be as large as Twitter QA, but where you are trying to capture the same kind of problems, right? You're, you're trying to measure the same potentially problematic behavior, but now it's been designed by a new group. Because if you're actually addressing the underlying problems, you should be able to pass all of them, or you should see sort of similar improvements. And again, you want to do some just quick difficulty um, calibration, for example, by running it on GPT-3 and trying to get a similar score on that one, because that one was released before um, uh, Truthful QA. So the idea okay. here would be that you get the score for GPT-3, GPT-4, and that would be the minimum. If you want to go more advanced, you would also include, say, uh, the older version of GPT-4 and the newer version of GPT-4. Maybe you even want to include an, uh, a weaker version of the old uh, GPT-3, uh, like the Curie model. If you want to go even more advanced, you do Curie, but yeah, we're already out of time. <laughs> out of those two, I'm more excited about the first one, I think, just because it, it, I think it would be harder to be concrete with the second one and be like, here's our result. It, it's not just the case in this situation. Like it, it generalizes better. I think, I, okay, yeah. Um, I, I do, personally, I do think the other one is also very relevant, right? Uh, that that if, if you've actually addressed this problem, you should be able to pass similar design tests. Um, but, but yeah, I, I can I can see that there's some fussiness there. Uh, although, uh, so you said you're interested in the first one. Uh, how how interested would you be in a negative result on that one? What do you mean? <laughs> Let's say that it does generalize well to held out samples. Would that still be an interesting project, or would that be a failed project? That would be good. Uh, I am sold on Utilops thing. Yeah, uh, me too. What? <laughs> I thought you would be yeah. critical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm actually it's like I like the idea. I would no, be totally yeah. good with working on like this kind of thing. Um so then the next question is okay, what data set are we basing off of? I'm, um, I'm very surprised. I thought <laughs> you would not like this. <laughs> uh but okay, then then let me try to convince you against it. <laughs> because good, some redeeming. Because I tested it out and at the moment I'm actually finding that GPT-4 does seem to do well on similarly created uh, examples. Well, how, 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 how much does it cost to generate new examples or, or test? Oh, no, it's super cheap, right? Just, there there are right. different ways of doing it. So I think that's one thing to explore, the different ways of doing it. But I, I tried two different ones, and it seems like it's actually doing as well. There are actually two different things that here are weird. One is that, uh, like I said, that it, it does seem to generalize to the held out data sets which in certain senses is a bit expected, but yeah, uh, it could still be interesting to, to, to prove that. Um, but uh, that one is that it's also performing a lot better than the numbers that they have reported. So I don't know if I make a mistake on my side, you know, we probably have to validate that, but the public, you know, the, the public score that they have is about 60% and, and here it goes to 80%. Of course, you I know, I have a very small more. sample size here, but, but I, I, as far as based on the answer, is concerned, <laughs> sample size of 30 is large enough. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This was very quick. Sorry. Uh, but but I based on what the kind of questions and based on the kind of answers I'm seeing, I, I, I think it probably is actually closer to 80%. Um, or, or there's something I missed in the setup. 
Yeah, so I think one, like, yeah, I think, like, testing the bounds of, like, I, obviously this is dependent on the data set, but, like, explicitly baking into our, like, process, we, we want to, like, make sure that there's no bias in the data set towards a particular, like, kind of, like, grammatical structure or something like that. And so, like, I mean, I, 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 I would... I would hope that we should have some kind of metric of distinguishability or indistinguishability and rely on that. So mm -hmm. if there's a significant difference in grammatical structure, then, you know, well, however we have that dis distinguishability metric. We works, can, we can use the, the blue or however it's called, uh, B-L-E-U. Um, yeah. That's currently what's oh, used to, isn't to tell that the difference. Yeah, maybe that's fine. I, I thought that one requires, you know, human subjective judgment. I don't think so. But I, I, I do think like one potential concern is the fact that it does seem to generalize outside. Well, so maybe that it hasn't been game. I mean, like, like maybe it's like, you know, <clears throat> maybe this is like model dependent, like for GPT-4, it does generalize, which is a good thing for GPT-4. And then Llama 2 does not generalize, for example. Uh, so, so that's one thing we could definitely do, right? To to test this on a few more uh, models and see are they equally good or, or do some of them seem to be cheating. Mm -hmm. uh, the other option could be that instead you go this route. I was thinking like if if the results are actually positive, then you know that kind of demonstrates that you can kind of recreate the data sets from a few samples. Yeah. Like how many bits do we need to recover it? So, so then let's just just to like make it, I guess, as as concrete as possible because we've got you know like five minutes before the office hours, and I think this is a good direction. Um, our our next step is to figure out exactly what um, data set we want to try to create a an alternate version for, right? So we want to create a data set that is going to be assessing the same thing as some already established data set, but is not the same uh, question. Do we want is... a question answering data set? So I, th I think it, it depends on exactly what we're looking for here. So, so... Uh, we could also, you know, do fine-tuning on, but it's just going to be very time-consuming. So I think the best is something that has been out, so that we know that that existing models may have been influenced by them, but we still have older models that we know are not influenced by them. So uh, bool Q and truthful QA model datasets like that are perfect because uh, they, they they came after GPT three. So I think. That's but then, effectively, we're making our own version of that dataset. We're creating fictional held out samples of it. That, that's one yeah. track. The other track would be like, we are creating a, a similar data set that tries to measure the same capability and see how that compares to the one that was public. But yeah, no, yeah but what you said is the first track, yeah. Wait, sorry, what's the difference between these? The other one is that here we are creating samples that are similar to a data set that is public. The other one is that we're creating a, a different data set on our own that tries to capture the same capability, right? So if we care about truthfulness, we will create our own truthfulness and data set, and then seeing if 
the, those models having improved on another uh, truthfulness uh, data set also implies an improvement on our truthfulness data set. Ah. Uh, I'll yeah. start with number one for now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand. So I, I feel like another critique here is just like, maybe this is obvious, right? From a machine learning perspective, like if you train these models in a good way, then you should get a good generalization. So maybe it's not surprising, you know, something like that. Mm -hmm. But I think a priori is not super obvious, but okay. So yeah, so we create held out data sets. Uh, we, we need to figure out how to uh, define uh, indistinguishable. Uh, maybe we want to calibrate our data set. Uh, so similar score on a GPT-3 as the original. This is technically optional, but I think it makes it stronger. So we kind of select a subset that has the same overall score. Um, then uh, uh, measure gaps for old VS new model on old on public data sets. Measure gaps for old versus new on uh, created data sets. I think that's all, or what did I forget? Uh, I mean, synthesize, analyze and synthesize to give report values, you know, whatever. Um, cool. So I guess then the, the questions that I'm thinking are most valuable to like try to get answered are what are some good uh, data sets that have been published that people feel like are like, yes, this is, uh, you know, actually assessing this thing um, as, as a base. And then the second thing would be um, how do we define indistinguishable in the, like, of our questions from their questions? Um, I suspect we won't have an answer to that. I, I think it's a bit unusual. But I feel like if we Google it, we can probably find some standard. Yeah, I don't, I'm not saying that we'll get like perfect responses, but just understanding what the ideal case scenario is going into it is valuable. Um, does anyone have any questions? Or anything they want to say? Good for now. Sweet. Uh, I, I don't know, uh, Rumb, how are we doing? What are you thinking? I'm a little bit confused, honestly. Uh, but I think I like, like, I might hear you pitch again at the office hours and then I might get a better grip on it. So, yeah. So you okay. can read this, but yeah, maybe uh, ask a question and then maybe we can answer it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, um, yeah, so please read this, but maybe I can just sort of, again, briefly explain it to you because uh, it will be easy for you for the discussion. Okay, fair enough. Uh. So um, our goal is, again, to show that these data sets can be gamed. The hope here is that we evaluate if they are gamed, I guess, a bit more accidentally, right? Rather than a company going, we are going to, you know, get around your eval, whether you like it or not. They might, you know, um, because there's data leakage or, you know, people internally push a bit for it, whatever, right? So this is not as conscious. Of, of, of gaming, but that there's still some kind of gaming going on. So so uh, the point here is to see if 
are there some improvements on these data sets, uh, for example, yeah. truthfulness, and that that doesn't actually imply that these models have improved on that thing that we worried about, that that would be the intention here to sort of evaluate if that's the case or not. What do we mean when you say gains on public data sets? So an example would be like truthful QA, right? Where, you know, companies want it to score well on truthful QA yeah. because it sort of implies that the model is, you know, either not lying to you, at least knows what it's talking about and so on. And we can see that um, it has improved a lot. Uh, GPT-3 is also around here. So it has improved like from 21% for GPT-3 to now 59 at least is the one that they yeah. released. So the question is like, does this mean that now the model is actually more truthful or not? So how much of this improvement is an improvement on the actual capability that we are worried about or, or want? And how, how much of this is it just getting better because now we have a public data set? As in it, it encountered the data set in its training set and it learned off of it, something like that? Yeah, so that would be like the, the most obvious form of data leakage. But you can also have, for example, that, you know, engineers look at uh, where it goes wrong and find some ways to add features or, I mean, I guess you don't necessarily add features to GPT-4, but maybe you find uh, some ways of collecting kind of samples, right? If you're doing RLHF, maybe you go out and collect samples that are more truthfulness related uh, and particularly maybe inspired a bit by, by truthful QA. Right, so there might be other forms of data leakage that's, you know, a bit more um, implicit than just training on exactly the truthful QA data set. But it could also be that, yeah, you have seen this, this in your training data. Okay, like, uh, how do we even test for this? As in, how do you evaluate a model to know if it has come across the database in its data set? So, uh, there are ways where you can test that. For example, if you have a, a known public data set and you give them, say, you know, you give them uh, the, a prefix of one of the questions, you can see, does this model complete the question? Right? If you're taking a question that shouldn't be, you know, that expected and it answers exactly as in the data set, then you know that something fishy is going on. That's one way that people can test if there's been a data leakage that's more explicit. Using this kind of thought process, Shi et al. introduced min-k percent probability as a new detection method for identifying when content was present in training data in the paper Detecting Pre-Training Data from Large Language Models, which was published in October of 2023, approximately one month before this episode was recorded. But the, the more general way that we're looking at this is that we are going to try to create what could have been the hidden data set for this public data set, right? Because it's, it's normal in, in machine learning to do held out validation, right? So say you have your data set, you're trained on 80% of it and 20% yeah. of it you're hiding from you the model. So, so we want to do that, but if I, the problem is we don't have that hidden data set. So we're going to create the hidden data set. So that's the approach here. We're going to create that hidden data set and argue that we can create this in such a way that it's actually indistinguishable from the public data set. So now we have the, the, the held out data set and we're going to evaluate if we're seeing the same improvements. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Following this conversation, we hopped into that office hours call that I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, but it wasn't recorded. Fortunately for you all though, our group did meet up again after that, which will make up the content for the next episode in the hackathon sub-series. 
Some of you may notice that I have a new logo. That's right, the show is well enough established now that I figured it would be worth doing some actual branding. Also, I had originally used an AI image generator for the album art since it was a quick way to get a decent looking image, but I always had planned to contract an actual real human artist for the logo and hopefully for some fun album art in the future as well. The logo was designed by Stellark, who is a designer, developer, and broadcast producer, and it was a pleasure to work with them. If you like the logo and you need one yourself, consider working with them. Their website and Twitter are linked in the show notes. In the spirit of keeping this outro short, I will just quickly ask again for you to share the podcast with others that you think could benefit from it, or who would just enjoy me talking about machine learning related topics. I have been super busy recently working to set up the next few episodes, and I'm really excited to share them with you all. Well, see you next time.